All right. I, um, I'm really excited about this morning's word. I'm, I'm, it, it, it's half preached already. Um, thanks, Sarah. It's always good. Look, I, I love it. When, when you come in and there's a confirmation that God is working, you know, through the words that we've sung, through the prophecies that have been spoken, through the prayers that have been prayed, uh, there, there's a real sense that, you know, it's nice to know that you're preaching a word in season that's not just simply time. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to kind of just mull through some of the things of this week with you through the season, I believe, that we're in as a church. Uh, you've heard me say for the last couple of weeks, or if you're just here, you'll hear me say this morning, uh, I believe we are in the beginning of, I believe we are in something significant. We are on the cusp, a tipping point of something truly profound. Uh, and that reflects itself in, in many different ways. Uh, those of you that are um, part of our giving community here who get our, our monthly email will know that our giving has done something quite magnificent uh, in the last few weeks, which is great. All glory to God because we believe that, uh, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So it's not all about the income that comes in, but it's one of the ways that we reflect. One of the other ways that we reflect is the lives that we see getting transformed, the testimonies that we hear. Uh, and there's wonderful things that have, have been happening uh, that, again, I get the privilege to hear a lot of them because I'm sort of that middle point where people come and talk to you and all that sort of thing. But I also think one of the other things that we use to measure, and I was talking about this last week, is, is the opposition that you experience. And one of the difficult things is working out what opposition is, is, is God trying to go, hey, let's, let's put the brakes here. And what opposition is the enemy going, I don't want you to take any more ground. I don't want you to take any more, you know, like God has a plan that his kingdom expands. What was Jesus' commission to us? Go fill the earth and subdue it. Make disciples of all the nations. And so when you start to take ground, when you start to live into that, it's only natural to expect that the one who wants to stop that happening starts to twist some things, starts to make some things happen. Starts to, and so last week I talked about not only knowing the Word of God, but the importance of knowing the voice of God, uh, because the enemy quotes Scripture. The enemy knows the Word of God. And so we were talking about, you know, when Jesus uh, was, was affirmed by, after his baptism, he immediately went into the, into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil who used the word of God. And so it's important not only to lean into the word of God, but also the voice of God to discern what is God working for us? What is God, what is the enemy fighting against us? Uh, and so, yeah, th there was a lot of talk last week about discernment, a lot of things about that. But I want to focus on something this morning. Uh, that I think is quite timely as well. God gave me a picture. I actually know, I'll, I'll, I'll share this first. You know it's good when it's coming out of my journal. Let's take a look at a couple of key scriptures. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, a very uh, poignant verse for Pentecost Sunday, which says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Some translations say they were gathered together in one accord. It's not just about their location, it's about their heart. How many people know you can be in one place but divided? So they're gathered in one place in one accord. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled, say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven because it was festival time. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because, one, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? All of them. <laughs> Next verse. <laughs> 
both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, not to be confused with Cretans and Arabs, uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, the last time I quoted this verse at, at church, I've never been drunk, but I imagine that if you are drunk, and you, 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 your language gets worse, not better. Like, people who tend to be drunk tend to struggle with their own language. They don't pick up a new language. <laughs> so to accuse these people of going, oh, they're just drunk, is, is for starters foolish. <laughs> Uh, and so in this, you know, Peter then gets up and he begins to explain, no, that's not what it is. This is the fullness of God. But I want to go all the way back to verse 1 in that, which says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were gathered together in one place and in one accord. You know, Psalm chapter 133, I want to read that. It's, it's one of the shorter Psalms. And there's just three verses. It says this, How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. Say unity unity. Next verse, it's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. Next verse, it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Where? Where people dwell together in unity. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 to 20, Jesus says this, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So it's what's the, what's the key? Being gathered in his name. In other words, being unified in purpose, unified in, in, in the reason for being together, unified in their request, unified in their petition. Let me ask you this question. If you were the devil, I know, it's like, I, I go with you. Let, let's, if the person next to you was the devil, no, I, I just want to point out how simple this is. Because if you were the devil and, and God said things like, where people dwell together in unity, that's where God's blessing is. And when people dwell together in unity and they ask anything in my name and it shall be done. And if we went through things like on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came in power because they were gathered together in unity. What would you try to sabotage? Unity. unity. You don't have to be too bright to work that out. Or, or drunk. <laughs> that's, yeah. And so we're in this place, and, and, and like, I want to speak about unity this morning because I believe we are on the cusp of something significant, and I believe that when that's happening, what does the enemy try? What, why has that happened? Because we've pursued over the last few years unity, authenticity, and, and all of those forms. What does the enemy try to attack? Unity. What have I seen God try to attack over the last four weeks? Unity. Everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere. Within the staff, you know, of which I am a part of that. I'm not... Point of fact, you're serving because our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So this isn't about victims and villains. This is about a church that's moving to forward together. Remember when Jesus said, "A house divided against itself can't stand," and then some guy called Abraham Lincoln took credit for it several years later. And so, the enemy tries to sabotage unity. And I've seen that happen in different places, within the staff, within the leadership, within the church, within families, within friends. And that's not to go, come on, I'm coming here to tell you all off. That's not what this is about, because it's not you, it's, it's, it's the enemy that's trying to divide. All I want to do is bring your attention to it. Because do you know when the enemy loses? It's when we work out his schemes. 
when we see it for what it is. And what we tend to do is we tend to have these isolated cases. We tend to have these isolated situations where, you know, these things happen and we think it's just us and we think the whole world's coming in and then we go, well, it's not a spiritual thing. It's just that person. And if I could deal with that, then everything would be fine. But I've had several cases this week where, you know, there's, there's been an opportunity and I actually had this vision in one of them where it was like, you know, <laughs> reconciliation happened. God did wonderful things. There, was this, there were opportunities that we could have gone, and it could have been an absolute catastrophe, but out of it you go, that was amazing. God was glorified in that. And it's like in one of them I had this vision of, of, of the devil peeking in my office going, what the heck was that? That's not what was supposed to happen. That's not what was supposed to go down. You were supposed to fall apart. You were supposed to argue. You were supposed, and instead you walk out of here worshiping God. <laughs> I've got all sorts of titles that I could have for this sermon, but none of them appropriate. <laughs> you know, another situation this week where it could have been an absolute catastrophe, and we went, ah, let's sort this, let's sort this. Walked out praising God. And God showed me this vision, because I believe that we're in a battle. And I believe at the moment we're in a particular battle. And a battle that doesn't need to be fought, but simply stood in. Because... Jesus fights the battle. He's already won the battle. We're, in a one, we're not in a winning battle. We're in a one battle. We don't have a context for that. I have a slight context for that in the sense that the other day on the news, they were, they were because um, it's been the anniversary of D-Day. And so D-Day was one of those really unsure, are we going to win? Are we, you know? And yet on the anniversary, these guys were playing war games and they're replaying and, and my dad's watching the news and he goes, but you already know who wins. Why would you, why, you're, already, you're playing, but this is already predetermined. Let me say that in the same way, we're in a battle where in some regard you sit back and go, but it's already predetermined who wins. God, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And so in that place and in that moment, we have to turn up and we have to stand. But the picture that God gave me was the difference between boot camp and the battlefield. There is a time as a church, there is a time in the life of Christians and discipleship where there's a time for challenge, where there's a time for digging deeper, where there's a time for training, where there's a time for going, you know what, we got to get some things right here. That's boot camp. Anyone here, you know, if you, some, we've got some people from the Air Force, if you've done boot camp, you know, or in the military of any description, it's not a fun time. It's not a fun time because, you, you know, he goes, run harder, run faster. You, can, you know, if it's just like someone abusing you for like 24 hours a day, and then if you do something wrong, they punish everyone, which puts everyone to, against you. You know, there's all these things going on. But the reason for boot camp is, so, you know, the reason for all of that stuff is so that come the battlefield, because when you are on the battlefield, you are all you've got, and you have to have each other's backs. And it is not the time, you know, and so what we can do, we can confuse the, 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 the boot camp with the battlefield. And the worst thing that can happen is on the battlefield, you treat each other like you treat each other at boot camp. There's a time for that. There's a time for challenging, but there's also a time to, 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 to get together and to say, we are all on the same side here. We all want the same thing. And, you know, in that story, in the continuation, what happens is they turn up to that battle and God confuses the enemy coming towards them, and they all just start fighting themselves. I submit to you that, that that is the same tactic that the enemy watched and went, I'll keep that in mind. Because what happens when churches tend to be on the brink of significance, what starts happening? Infighting. The enemy goes, if I could just confuse these people and get them to forget the enemy and start thinking that they're the, they're the enemy, 
Churches have, have fallen on that because they turned their attention. So all I'm trying to do this morning is to turn our attention to go, we have a common enemy and it's not in this room. It is not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person that you're married to. It is not your children. It is not your parents. It, you know, it's not your youth leader. It's not. <laughs> you two bantering down. Anyway. So we've got to come against that. And so we're, we're, you know, there's a little bit of an edge in my voice this morning, but I'm not cross at you. I want us all collectively to be cross at the enemy. You know, we won't be defeated. We won't be taken down. We won't be, you know, and so I want to talk about that. And I've got a number of different things about how we address that, how we uh, grow the kingdom of God in our lives, how we grow unity, how we do all these sorts of things. Uh, and, you know, there's a big part of what happens in church and what happens in our Christian life, what happens in your family, which simply comes down to what do you tolerate? Not what do you celebrate, but what do you tolerate? You know, there's an old saying about you get what you tolerate, or what you tolerate you will eventually manifest. And, you know, I've been thinking about this in different ways. You know, any, are there any keen gardeners in here this morning? Any, any, no? Me neither. Me neither. Um, but here's what I've noticed. Here's what I've noticed. My, my wife's a bit of a keen gardener. Uh, she's, also a busy, she's also a busy mum. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to follow that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, she's a bit of a king gardener. She's a busy mum. She's on the parent center committee. She's got all these sorts of things going on. And so, so you know, our, our garden has, and this isn't to criticize Emma at all. Is she here this morning? Oh, she's busy. Uh, but, you know, I haven't exactly pulled my weight when it comes to the outdoor side of things. So let's put it all back on me. And I was looking out in our garden the other day. And do you know what grows without, I, th- I think we should all just grow weeds with an S. With an S. <laughs> Because they require no care at all. They require you to do absolutely nothing. Hi, Emma. I see you. <laughs> Love you, babe. Uh, and so, <laughs> you, you, like, I just looked out the other day, and, and by doing absolutely nothing, I've got this full garden. Full garden. It's like, yeah, I didn't even have to try. I didn't have to water it. didn't have to put fertilizer on it. didn't have to do anything else. But what I've noticed is if you want to grow plants... You want to grow food, you want to grow something that's fruitful, you have to put a little bit of effort into it. And so here's the difficulty. Everything worth growing takes time to to establish. Everything not worth growing takes time to weed it out. And so if we want to embrace what God is doing, we have to do two things. Number one, we have to nurture what God is doing. And number two, we have to weed out what the enemy's trying to do. Because if we do one without the other, if we do weeding but no nurturing, and there are people like that. You ever met those people who just like, everything is a battle and I'm constantly tearing down strongholds and I'm constantly doing this. You go, yeah, but like, where's your discipleship? You know, or you get people on the other side who are completely ignorant to the fact that we're in a war and they just go, I'm just going to keep growing myself. I'm just going to keep nurturing what this thing is. And then, you know, in the, the, in the parable of the sower, the, you know, they, it's good seed, it's good soil, but there's weeds that aren't dealt with. We have to be a both-and community. And yet often what we like to do is avoid the weeding part, especially if we bring it into our own life context. Because, you know, in the garden it's all good because the, the weed doesn't bite back, generally. Uh, again, so many jokes I can make here, none of them appropriate. <laughs> um, and I, so, so in this place, we... we 
you know, we come up against a conflict situation. You know, the enemy tries to divide unity. Do you know what, do you know what the best cure for division is? Unity. We think of it as the opposite, but it's actually the cure. And yet how often what happens is I've got, you know, you say something that's upsetting to me because you're in the front row and I can pick on you easily. Or let's flip it. I say something that's upsetting to you. And, you know, and we disguise it in Christian brotherly love and go, I'm not going to address it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to, you know, because that w- it would sabotage unity. You know, for me to go and confront that would sabotage unity. So I'll just sit on it. You know, I won't tell my husband that that thing he does. I won't tell him, but I'll just hold it. And it, I'll let it grow. And I'll let it fester. And I'll let it become bitterness. And I'll let it become, you know, until the point that like, you know, like we've never talked about it. It's never caused a problem between us, but we're now just walking past each other. And going, it's just easier if we don't talk about it. And there's no disunity. There's no, you know, there's no division, but there's no unity. And what I've found is that when you have that, have that conversation, when you get in the room, when you talk about it, uh, you know, there's, there's an old thing about, you know, we could come together and go, we have a problem. It's you. <laughs> you can go, we have a problem, it's you. But actually, if you go, we have a problem, it's him. <laughs> then you're on the team. You, disfu- you diffuse the unity and, and healing comes into the room. The power of God comes into the room. The enemy sits outside the window and goes, what the heck was that? But we've got to front up to these things. And we've got to front up to them in a godly way. See, there's a couple of things that I've got here. Uh, Romans chapter, nope, wait. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I already quoted it this morning. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the, war, as the world does. Let me make something really clear here to, uh, this morning. In our battle, which is against principalities and powers, and not flesh and blood, we don't battle and we don't wage war as the world does. There's supposed to be a difference. And so we have to look at that. Look at the, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. I love the, the New King James says, the weapons we fight with are not carnal. <laughs> I, I just like the word carnal. It sounds cool. The, 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 there's, a, there's a very fine line between carnal and carnage. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, we don't tolerate. We don't tolerate those things that get in our ears. When bitterness creeps in, we go, "Uh uh-uh. It has no place. I don't mean we don't tolerate, you know, I don't, it's not you I don't tolerate. It's the thing that's trying to come between us. I'm not going to let anything that could try to separate me from you or me from God. Jew, Jewish people understood sin as anything that separated you from God or from people. And so we have to hold that. Then the other side of that is, is how, do you, how do you address that? How do you go into that? Because watch what this says. You know, there's, there's been a lot of damage done in the sake of division. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 to 4, Bo. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. I don't want to talk about the faith is weak, but I just, without quarreling over disputable matters. In other words, there's some things that aren't worth the fight. See, because what we can do is we can go, well, Shannon said this morning not to tolerate, so every little thing... Here I come. I'm going to war. <laughs> Let's war. It's, uh, 
Uh, some of you have seen that video, know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, <laughs> without quarreling over disputable matters, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. See that? You only eat vegetables, you have weak faith. That's what, it's in, I didn't say it, it's in the Bible. I don't eat vegetables at all, <laughs> so take that. <laughs> uh, the one who eats everything... <laughs> The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. In other words, some things aren't worth dividing over. Some things aren't worth going to war over. I'm actually, I'll be true to you here. I bought beans at the supermarket on, on the weekend because I love beans. Emma hates beans. I'm actually the better vegetable eater. I know you wouldn't believe it looking at the two of us, uh, but I eat more vegetables. I just eat more food in general, is actually what happens. It's just... <laughs> so there are some things that aren't worth fighting over. But then when we go... So that's Romans 14. Jump forward to Romans 16, verse 17. Which says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary from the teaching what you've learned. Keep away from them. And so as usual, we live in the tension of Christians of going, what's worth picking a fight over and what's not? And I'd like to submit to you that in every revival, that is, you know, if we're going to experience revival, if we're going to experience the fullness of God, most of what stops people entering into that is fighting over things that aren't worth fighting about and not fighting for things that are worth fighting about. And so we just need to turn all that energy towards fighting the right thing. Towards, towards not tolerating the right thing. And it's not each other. It's not each other that we're supposed to be waging war against. You know, a while ago I preached a sermon on consecration. I talked about consecrating your past, consecrating your present, and consecrating your future. You know, that word has been in my head again and again and again this week. I guess, you know, if you were here when Shane was here, you, were, you would have heard the difference uh, and the parallels that he drew between the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And so I've been reflecting on that story. And one of the things that God says on the day before, or three days before the giving of the Ten Commandments, which is the same day as the day of Pentecost, is consecrate yourselves. Go and consecrate yourselves. To consecrate yourself simply means to set apart. It means to declare that I am for this purpose. So consecration is what you're for and it's what you're not for. In the sense that, you know, I'll, I'll bring it back to a real basic level. Eddie, I'm going to give you some study advice you'll never forget. Never study in bed. They tell you, I know, you're looking at me going, you do it, because we do it. How well do you sleep? You're a teenager, you sleep forever. But it's <laughs> See, because one of the things that they tell you in psychology, which this is before we get into this kind of thing, in a, in a spiritual level, at a, at just a, at a natural level, if you study in the place where you sleep, it affects your sleep. And so one of the things that they say is don't study in bed because your bed should be consecrated or set apart for rest. Don't bring stress into the place of rest because we associate places with things. So therefore, when I go to bed, if I'm doing bed, if, I, if, if bed's where I go to think, what do I not go to do? Sleep. What was bed made for? Sleep. So if I come to church and church was made for worship, but I come to fight... So there's certain things that we consecrate, certain seasons that we consecrate, certain positions, certain things that we go, this is set apart for this, therefore. You know, when, when we were in Reading last year and we went to Bethel, they've got, a, they've got a room that is just reserved for praying. You don't do anything else in there except pray. 
You know, there's something about that room. There's, there's something at the same time, it's, very, it's a very normal room. It's not like you walk in and go, you know, a bit weird, it's like the twilight zone. It's, but there's something about setting apart a place that goes, we only pray in here. We don't, we don't have meetings in here, we don't have arguments in here. You know, there's a place for that, but it ain't here. There's a place for boot camp, but it ain't here. There's a place for the battlefield, but it ain't here. And so we've got to make sure that we're consecrating the right places for the right things. And so much of that comes down to simply what you say, how you speak. It's not even about what you promote. You know, I want to use an example, uh, you know, without it sounding like a race example, but it, it's, a, it's a unity example. Because I had someone come into the church uh, about a month and a half ago, and they came up to me and they went how did you get so many Māori people in your church? I'm like, uh uh-huh. Like, we didn't advertise. We didn't put a sign out on the street that said, like, deliberately bicultural, deliberately multicultural. But you know what we did? We started having an internal conversation. We started having a conversation going, you know what? We want, to be this, we want this to be a place where culture and diversity is, is, is celebrated. And so the moment you do that in the spiritual, God goes, well, if you'll celebrate it, I'll send it. We didn't have to do anything. You know, one of the conversations that we had, I would say about oh, 18 months ago, 24 months ago, uh, as, a, as a church and as a leadership, uh, one of our strategic goals is to build a place where God becomes accessible to people who would not normally be able to access Him. And so everything we do, it's about accessing. You know, one of the things that I love about that, it, you know, we've been talking as children's church, We've got about eight autistic children as part of our church community at the moment. That's awesome. You know why? We didn't promote it. We didn't, you know, the reason is God went, if you're prepared to make room for them where most other people just sort of tolerate them, if you're prepared to actually walk towards, because let's be fair, a lot of what the, the education system works for a few and works, walks away from the rest. Whereas we said, now we haven't got it all figured out. In fact, at the moment we're going, how do we do this in a way that works for everybody and enhances everybody's connection with God? But because we said we're intentional about it, God went, well, then I can send it. So when you say this is a place where we will accept, God will send it. <laughs> Are you ready for that? Are you ready for We've got to rewire it, and the way that we do that is we've got to take what's our higher value, and we've got to get it into our core value. Let me explain what I mean by that. Here's a higher value. How many people of you, how many people here, believe that God is in control of your finances? Okay, by by show of hands, how many people here have ever stressed about their money? So that's a high, that's an example of a higher value and a core value. My higher value says God is in control of my finances. But because it's not my core value, I still stress about my finances. So what we need to do is take our higher value, what we're saying, to our core value, what we're believing. How does what, you know, because it's all well and good to say, I, you know, we embrace diversity in this church, but our core value is I only hang out with people like me. You know, or, you know, we embrace this, but, you know, I just, I just really struggle with people that don't speak English as a first language. That's a core value. Does God move into the church based on higher value or core value? Core value. When our higher value becomes our core value. Clearly, I didn't explain that well because <laughs> we, have to, we have to believe what we're saying. We have to consecrate it. We have to actually set it apart and change something. If this place is only reserved for this, then we don't let anything else into it. 
We don't make any exception to that. And so part of that is it's that nurturing and it's the weeding. So it's going, you know, if we believe that God has called us to do something that, that spans across generations, we need to do something that spans across generations. Not just go, we've, we believe God's called us to reach across generations, and we're going to do that by reaching them, like by, by tunnel visioning it. If God's called us to be intergenerational, we need to be intergenerational. And at the same time, anything that comes in that sabotages that value we have to reject, we have to rebuke, we have to go thanks, but no thanks. Even the good things. This is what we were talking about as a, as a church. Not everybody can reach everybody, but we have to be faithful to reach what God has called us to do. And so there's some people that go, I don't like what you do. Cool. It's probably not for you. Good, good preaching, Amy. Let, let me keep showing you some, some scriptures and things here. Because what happens you know, we go, oh, well, it's not really a thing. And this is why I've, I've waded into this subject this morning. This is why I've waded into this subject this week. Because the truth is, you know, the, the, the potential for the division has not been that great. And, and it's not like we've all been bun fighting and infighting within the church and things like that. But there's just been these little niggles. And, you know, what you'd normally do is go, ah, there's bigger things. But actually, I've gone, no, there's not. Because this thing here has the potential to harm the unity, and the unity is where God moves. The unity where God, is where God gives a blessing. Some of you, you know, you go, it's not worth addressing in my marriage. Some of you go, no, you got to talk about it, because it's the thing. It's the thing that if you leave unaddressed, it'll grow. And so we, we address those things, we front up to those things, which is awkward as heck, might I tell you, and scary as heck, because you sit in that room and go, I don't want to do this. This is terrifying. And yet what comes out of that room is healing. What comes out of that room is breakthrough. What comes out of our, our shifting of our mindset. And so watch this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Got that one? I didn't give you that one. Sorry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. Man, it's hot. Just me. Okay. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. You know, other translations don't even talk about the anger. It just says, do not give a foothold to the devil. Because you know what a foothold becomes if you tolerate it? A stronghold. So we go, it's, it's, it's just a foothold. It's just a thing. It's, but if you don't address it, it becomes a stronghold. How many things, how many things in your life, how many things in your marriage, how many things in your friendship could have been a lot less difficult if you confronted them when they should have first been confronted? Lots. Yeah, that's right. Stop it. <laughs> Why? Anyway. You know, so don't let footholds become strongholds. Deal with them while they're footholds. Don't tolerate it. Don't go, ah, oh, it's okay. We'll let it in here. We'll, we'll just, it's, it's all good. You know, there, there's a lot of talk in, you know, modern churches and particularly, you know, churches that are really about spiritual warfare, about, you know, the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel. You know, oh, you know, she was the controlling one. She was the one that always wanted to manipulate. No one ever talks about the spirit of Ahab. You know, when the Bible talks about, you know, what, what God's problem was with Ahab, he's like, you were her husband, you didn't do anything. You, let's take it a little bit further than that. You were the king. You were the one in charge. So everyone's upset about what this person is doing, but you were the person I put in charge. I'll never forget the day I was the store manager of Domino's Pizza. And, uh, you know, some guy that was working under me in the day shift did something really dumb. I don't even remember what it was now. It was just something real dumb. And the boss turned up, and he screamed at me. And I'm like, I didn't even do it. He said, I don't care. I put you in charge. He was one of my groomsmen at my wedding, by the way. We're good mates. 
But he went, I don't care what happened. You were supposed to stop it. And so in the whole thing with Ahab, it's like, I put you in charge. And so, so often we can go, you know, oh, the devil's coming against my future. The devil's coming. And he's like, I've already won the battle. You know, and you go, oh, this whole thing, wrecked, you know, this thing wrecked the church. And this it's like, yeah, but is, how much of that happened because you didn't front up to a conversation? You know, oh, the devil wrecked my marriage. Yep. Okay. But how much of that could have been overcome if you'd fronted up to the battle? You know, we've got an enemy that prowls around like a lion seeking for a chance. Seeking for a chance, looking for a foothold. And I don't even like talking about him in church. It gets too much airtime. So, like, this is very rare. You won't hear me do this much often. The last two weeks have been important. In the sense of reminding us where our battle is. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. So my challenge to you, my question is to you, what are your core values this morning? And because of those core values, what are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to? What are you saying yes to and what are you saying no to? And I'm not talking about saying yes to good things and, and, and no to bad things. I'm talking about there's some, you can't say yes to everything. If we're going to say yes, if we're going to say yes to revival, we're going to have to say no to disunity. If we're going to say yes to victory in our marriage, we're going to have to say no to gossip. We're going to have to say no to this, you know, whatever it is. And so my question is, what is your, not what is your higher value? What are you saying is true? What do you believe is true? What is your core value? And what does it look like to set that apart? What does it look like to say bed is for sleeping and therefore that's all I do? <laughs> I didn't say a word. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> It's so hard to be a good Christian in this church. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> you know, but like this place is set aside. You know, what does that look like? What does it look like for, for church on Sunday morning? What does it look like for your marriage? What does it look like for the way you parent? What does it look like for your workplace? What does it look like for the way you live life as a Christian? To go, these things I'm going to nurture in my life, I'm going to plant, and these things I'm going to weed out before they become a problem. Because when we can agree and when we can commit to that together, when we can see the enemy schemes for what the enemy schemes truly are, that's when victory comes. So go and be fruitful. Go and, and fight a battle that is already won. Go and stand. Stand with your backs to one another. Remember that the people in this room are not your enemy. Don't let anything the enemy says come between that. Don't, don't let anything they do come between that. Because like, we do, like, I am the king of stupid stuff. I'll do stupid stuff. But just because you do, don't comment, just because I do the stupid stuff mean, doesn't mean that we go, well you, know, well, you did it, so therefore there's a problem here. Let's be quick to forgive, slow to anger. I love, I love that verse, slow to anger, quick to forgive, quick to, for, to talk about everything. Quick to confront, quick to say to the enemy, you get no foothold here. Because if we make sure that there's no foothold in the camp for the enemy, there will never be a stronghold. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the reminder over the last couple of weeks that we are in a battle. But Lord, the stronger reminder still that we are in a battle that has already been won. 
Lord, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Lord, I pray for everyone uh, in this room who over the last couple of weeks has felt up against it, whether it's been in a physical battle, a mental battle, or a spiritual battle. Lord, I thank you that all they have to do is continue to stand. Lord, I pray that you would take their eyes off the symptoms and, and turn their eye towards the cause. Lord, that where they've looked at things and said, this, this, is, this is the problem, but Lord, it's only symptomatic. Lord, where we've put blame on people who didn't deserve it, Lord, we lift it and we shift it on the one who would try to sit, to sieve us out, Lord, the one who would try to deceive, to destroy, and to kill. And Lord, we, we thank you that this battle is already won. Lord, more than we turn our attention towards the enemy, we turn our attention towards you, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Lord, the one who's, who's greater is the one who is in me than the one that is in the world. Lord, I thank you that everyone walking out of this place today gets to walk with an awareness of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords within them. And Lord, I pray that as they go, that they will be reminded that their weapons are not carnal, that their weapons are not earthly, that they don't go to war as the world goes to war. But Lord, they go with you, the one that prepares a table for reconciliation in the presence of our enemies. That makes no sense. Lord, help us to battle different. Help us to, to love different. Help us to respond in the face of adversity different so that you would be glorified in our actions and in our words and in our relationship. Lord, you said that the world would know we were your disciples by our love for one another. And Lord, I pray that that would be the testimony, that when things try to come against, when things try to dissuade, Lord, that we would hold together stronger still, love each other more still, and that that testimony to the world would make people see, wow, they believe what they say, and they say what they believe. Lord, we thank you for the salvations that are going to continue to come into this place because of your one battle. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeah, amen.